Welcome to Recon Podcast, episode number one. Recon is the Research and Education Collaborative Occultation Network. This is a project that directly involves teachers, students, community members, and scientists in the study of the outer solar system. I am your host, Mark Bowie, the principal investigator for this research project. John Keller is the co-PI, and we will trade off and share in talking about our project. This broadcast is produced for the recon teams and for anyone in the general public that might be interested in our project. We hope this podcast will provide useful information to help our teams stay connected to the project. We will also talk about current events and related results and activities in the scientific community. Also included will be background information that helps our teams more fully understand the project. In this inaugural episode, I will talk about some work I've been doing this past week for the New Horizons project on a very challenging occultation coming up later this year. Next, I will talk about Venus and current viewing opportunities. The recon tidbit for this episode is a discussion of timing and sense-up. Finally, I will discuss our next official observing campaign. This week, I've been working on preparations for an observation of an occultation of a star by 2014 MU69. This object is the next target that New Horizons is going to fly by on January 1st, 2019. These will be very, very challenging observations. It's a faint star. It's a very small object. The prediction is very difficult. But one of the things that we have to work out is getting equipment suitable to the task. These stars are not all that much dimmer than uh, the things that we typically do with recon. The challenge here is that we have to observe much, much faster. Typically, this star, we would might use a sense-up of 128, which is like two-second exposures. Unfortunately, for this event, the maximum t- length of the occultation is only two seconds, and we think we want to have maybe four measurements across that. So that means that we have to have, oh, half a second exposures to quarter of a second exposures, something like that. And for that, the standard recon systems would not work at all. So one of the things that we did is found a new telescope to check out. It's actually a 16-inch Dobsonian telescope. It's kind of big and heavy, but uh, it's still portable. And uh, we're also trying to find a, a better camera to put together with this. The video cameras just don't have quite the precision that we need for this event. So I'm testing out a new telescope and four new cameras. And uh, the observing strategy has been such that basically I get up at four o'clock in the morning when the fields that contain the stars that we're going to do has just begun to rise enough that I can get on it with the telescope. And I take a bunch of images and I get about 45 minutes to an hour to collect data with a given camera, trying a bunch of different settings. And then the sun comes up. I take these data bring them to the computer, and start processing them to try to find out if this is a good camera or a bad camera. 
So far, my favorite camera is one that's manufactured by a company called QHY. It's a QHY-174, and it seems to do pretty good. There's another camera that I'd like to try, which is an Andor camera, but it costs a factor of 10 more. So the QHY is only about $1,000, whereas the Andor camera is more like $14,000. And we want to know just how much better that camera is before we go spending that kind of money. So here's the challenge. Our normal recon objects are only, say, oh, about 50, 60 miles across. And the New Horizons target is about a factor of three or four smaller than that. So we need a much tighter picket fence, more stations more closely spaced together in order to have a chance of seeing this guy. Now, we can't afford to have a network as big as Recon for this. That would pro that would mean we'd have to have, instead of 50 stations, we'd have to have something like, oh, I don't know, 300 stations. So that means we have to have a much better prediction so that we know where the shadow is going to be much more accurately than we typically do for Recon. The other challenging part of this is these events are not going to be in the United States where it's kind of easy for us to get to and move around. The first event is on June 3rd this year and will be visible from the middle of South America and in Southern Africa. I'm concentrating my own efforts on um, observing this event in Chile in some of the best observing areas that I've ever seen on the Earth. We're trying to figure out how many stations we can send, but we're thinking something like anywhere from 10 to 20. And we have to find observers, and we have to find telescopes and cameras to put out there to be able to move around to chase the shadow wherever it's going to be from the last-minute predictions. Therein lies the rest of the challenge of this is the prediction work is very, very difficult. We can see this object with the Hubble Space Telescope. We've never seen it from the ground. And we were hoping this week to get another measurement of the, of the object to improve its orbit and work on the prediction. But the Hubble Space Telescope had an event which is called an, a safing event where there was anomaly in the onboard electronics that caused a glitch in the system and it rather than doing something crazy that would damage the spacecraft they basically shut everything down and waited till people from the ground could figure out what the problem was and recover unfortunately by that time their observations which had been scheduled for March 16th were lost and we won't get those observations back until either very early April or very late April. I will likely talk about this work in coming episodes. Um, it's going to be keeping me very busy and distracted in the months to come. So let me talk about something else that's going on in the sky right now. I hope most of you have noticed this bright object in the western sky just after sunset.
That's Venus, and it's currently approaching what's called inferior conjunction, so that means that it's in between the Earth and the Sun. And I don't think I've ever looked at Venus quite at this time before in its orbit and our view of it from the Earth, but it's a very, very striking view. It's as close as it ever gets to us, and it's also a very thin crescent. I can easily see the crescent in, in uh, 12 power binoculars, and through the recon telescope it will be a sight that you won't forget. I hope that all of you have a chance to go out and take a look at it. It's, a, it's an amazing view, and it's a very quick and easy setup for your telescope. You can use the Solar System Align feature and uh, get set up even during bright twilight and have a look. Um, you got to get on this quick, though, because it's approaching inferior conjunction in just about six days, so it's going to change a lot from night to night. And for a brief period of time around conjunction, you might actually be able to spot Venus both in the evening and in the morning sky if you're very good at spotting things, after which Venus will only be seen in the morning sky. The recon tidbit for this episode is to talk a little bit about timing and sense-up. For each event, we give a recommendation on our website for what sense-up value to use. And this was determined by looking at stars of different brightnesses and measuring how bright or faint the image is for those different settings. So I looked at a bunch of bright and faint stars and came up with a curve that says, okay, if you have a sense-up larger than some value, the star will be saturated and you won't be able to get good data out of it. If the sense-up value is too small, you might not detect the star at all. Now our systems cover a wide range of star brightnesses, but not every possible star brightness. On the very faintest stars that we can do, the sense-up will be 128, which is as long as our cameras will integrate, and that works down to about 16, 16 and a half magnitude. That's pretty faint. As you get brighter and brighter, if you don't speed up the camera, you run the risk of saturating the star and getting poorer data. If you go too fast, then it becomes very, very difficult to measure the star or see it at all. So you want to kind of be in that sweet spot. Rather than have you each figure out what that value should be yourself, I've done this calibration work, and we have a graph, and it's built into our software so that for every event, depending on what the brightness of the star is, we tell you what setting to use. Now, that does not mean that you should check your brain at the door If you've got problems like clouds and the star's bright, you might be able to go to a larger sense-up value and still get some useful data on that star. And so our recommendations are always for conditions where the sky is clear. There's another very important aspect of the experiments we normally run. We don't usually talk about this too much because you can't really control it, But that is, we really like to always have a second or third or fourth star in the field 
with the star that's being occulted. The reason for this is if there are clouds, the clouds will affect all the stars about the same, and then we can remove the effects of the clouds in making the light get dimmer or brighter depending on how much cloud you're looking through. If you don't have a second star, then what happens? You see the star light go away and then come back. You don't know whether or not that was a cloud or a bird or a moth in front of your telescope or or the occultation you were looking for. So it's always a good idea to have a second star in there. So sometimes that might mean you have to move your telescope a little bit and not have the target star be exactly centered in the picture. You move it off to the side a little bit and you might pick up a second star in there. That's a really good thing to do. The other thing that features into this, sometimes when you go to the target star, there might be only one other possible star to use, but it might be fainter than the target star. And if you use the predicted sense-up value, you might not actually get good enough data on the secondary star. So in that case, you would actually want to make the sense-up value a little bit larger, if you can, to get better data on the secondary star, even though that might make the primary star or the target star a little brighter than you would otherwise want to get. We will usually give you a heads up on issues like this ahead of time in the campaign email that we sent out and the reminders just before the event. But this is just one of those things that a good observer kind of keeps an eye on for themselves. And I encourage you to think about this while you're looking at these future events. So the final topic in this podcast is the upcoming campaign. We have an opportunity to try to see an occultation by a main belt asteroid, 96 Eagle, spelled A-E-G-L-E. And the event is supposed to be on Thursday night, April 13th, at roughly around 10.48 p.m. That's both Pacific and Mountain Standard Time for those of you in Arizona. This, is, this object is not a KBO like we normally do. It's a main belt asteroid. We're doing this for two reasons. One, we don't have any good Kuiper belt occultations to chase in the month of April, and we don't want you to get out of practice. But this is an object that is being targeted for special observations um, to get a better shape and albedo. And it's going to be part of a coordinated effort led by Frank Marchis. Um, he will be using high angular resolution imaging from the Very Large Telescope, or the VLT, down in Chile. He's going to put together that imaging data together with occultation light curves and rotational light curves to reconstruct a better shape. He's trying to do this for a bunch of the largest asteroids, and this one is coming up. This object was discovered in 1868, so we've known about it for a long time, but still we don't know all that much about it. 
but it is kind of an unusual, very dark asteroid. And it's it's darker than most main belt asteroids. And we think it may have something to do or be related to objects that are out further out in the solar system. But we don't know. The odds of success for this are much, much higher for this main belt object than we're typically used to with the Kuiper belt objects. My software says that we're going to have an 86% chance of success on this event. And I can also tell that it's probably more likely to happen in the southern part of the network. Um, Certainly from the central Oregon to northern California down to Yuma, Arizona, is probably where it's going to happen. But, you know, there could be things that we don't expect, and the, the track could shift. There could be secondary objects, you know, satellites or moons that we might find. Who knows? So we really think it's great to get everybody from recon involved on this. It's actually a bigger object than we typically do, so there will be lots of stations that will get cords compared to expecting only get two adjacent stations getting a cord. The Since the prediction is pretty good, we don't need to take data for nearly as long as typical for Kuiper Belt occultations. A couple of minutes is going to be sufficient. And just make sure to look up to the timing for your station on the website, tnorecon.net, and uh, get the rest of the information, including finding charts and uh, star identification and positions for those observations. So good luck to everybody on that event. The final thing I want to mention in closing is that we're working on a, a new tool. Um, it's a communication software called Slack. It's kind of sort of like uh, private Facebook. If you're used to working with Facebook, it allows everybody to post in various discussion topics and channels, and it's meant to be more, much more responsive than typical email. And we encourage anybody that wants to be part of the Slack communication experience, let us know and uh, send us e- an email saying that you'd like to be part of the Slack network. And uh, we'll get you connected up with that. You can do this on a computer or on your phone. If you've got connectivity while you're observing, this will be a great tool to say, hey, everybody, we, we just saw this, or we didn't see this, or it's cloudy, or it's clear, or anything you want to pass along to, as we're doing an observation. Also, we'll use it for updates and other information as we get closer to event time and as we continue the project. Well, that's it for this first experimental podcast. I hope you like this new form of getting information out, and we hope to do this on a regular basis. For now, we're targeting a podcast every two weeks, but we can do it more often if everyone finds it useful. We also want to encourage you to provide feedback on these podcasts. Perhaps you have a question or want more information about some aspect of recon or science in general. Let us know. And I promise I'll get better at this. 
Thanks for listening and for your interest in recon.